Yate Steve Pelletier Yunishe, Maidish Gizhi Nishli, Bilagana Bashishin, Kinlachitni Dashache, Bilagana Dashinelle. Today we're going to be talking about the cow clamps. This is a thing with the University of Kentucky prospects that I'm looking back on to say, you know, there are quite a few guys in recent draft memory that are ranked too low, and we need to think about this moving forward with Kentucky prospects, especially when we start talking about maybe this guy's a role player, because there is a phenomenon called the cow clamps we need to analyze. Thank you so much for listening to Res Ball and tuning in with us again. I want to thank every single one of you that is listening in and been tuning in in these first five episodes. Last episode we did with Kellen Voss previewing the Big Ten and Big Ten basketball. Please go check that out if you've yet to do that. Looking over the listener data, I want to say thank you so much to our listeners in Australia, as well as gracias to all of our listeners in Mexico and all across the world. Res Ball is worldwide. And once again, please go follow our last two guests, Piston Mike on Instagram and on YouTube. That's Piston underscore Mike on Instagram. Just search Piston Mike on YouTube. And Kellen Voss over at Maze and Brew. Please support their work and go look at all the fantastic stuff that they do on YouTube and on Maze and Brew and on Instagram. Can't thank Piston Mike and Kellen Voss enough. Please support their work. Today we're going to talk about a term I invented myself called the cow clamps. It has to do with the University of Kentucky prospects and how recently there have been this trend of rating prospects from Kentucky lower than where they should, looking back in hindsight. And there were a few when I started doing draft content and started looking into prospects that I just kept thinking, why are they ranked so low? And we'll dive into why that might be. And first, we're going to define what exactly are the Cal clamps. Let's define that here to start us out. Coach John Calipari has taken over the University of Kentucky Wildcats since the 2009-2010 season. And in that time, he has produced a lot of great NBA draft talent, including number one overall picks, Carl Anthony Towns, and of course, Anthony Davis. A lot of top 10 picks, such as Boogie Cousins, such as Julius Randle, such as Tieran Fox. Coach Cal puts out a ton of great NBA talent. But in recent history, there have been guys that are somehow just viewed as role players, but then come in the NBA and display a ton more skills. And I'm, we've been going back and forth on this at Detroit Bad Boys, and it's mainly been Scott from DBB and I, so shout out to Scott, thinking like, huh, there's this trend now of guys from Kentucky who get kind of the role player slash limited player slash I'm not sure this guy can be a lead scorer that looking back in hindsight there's got to be something to say about what they've done at Kentucky and what they're asked to do at Kentucky that I don't want to say hides it because I think that's putting Coach Cal down so I've dealt I've deemed this the Cal Clamps, meaning that there is some kind of role that Coach John Calipari and that staff at Kentucky asks a lot of players to do because they recruit a ton of five-star guys. Not everybody can have the ball in their hands. So they bring these guys in. They say, okay, 
not everybody can have the ball. Maybe there'll be some guys that, that get it. Maybe there's not. But everybody else, this is a role you're going to have to inhabit. You're going to have to do these things. And the point being is that it prepares you for the NBA, whether it's just to hone one skill, whether it's to work on areas maybe you're deficient in. But more importantly, it's to help Kentucky win games and to understand how to play as a team and how to do a lot of NBA type stuff. So I say the Cal Clamps, meaning there are these Kentucky players that get put in a role, that get the clamps put on them to where they're not able to display everything they are, but the clamps actually work and help in terms of development and in terms of preparing them for the NBA. And I want to be perfectly clear here. I'm not saying every single Kentucky player gets these quote-unquote clamps put on them because we have number one overall picks like a John Wall, like an Anthony Davis, like a Carl Anthony Towns, and all those aforementioned top 10 guys. Not every single one of the players that come to Kentucky get put in this kind of role and are asked to do something else to supplement whoever's getting the ball the most or who's ever the featured part of the offense or the defense. Coach Cal recruits so many guys, and I'm saying recently there is a trend of ranking guys lower, and in terms of looking at who I consider for these Cal clamps, I'm going to put these caveats on it. I'm not looking at anybody within the top 10, so I'm not going to look at the prospects that went up there like Julius Randle, like Boogie Cousins, like De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, these are the guys that went outside of the top 10 and that had these role player, you know, monikers slapped on them to say, I'm not sure they can do anything else. But looking back in hindsight, now we say, okay, they were actually asked to play a role and they should have been ranked much higher than they are. So again, Cal Clamps, meaning that the guys that were not top 10 picks in their prospective drafts and were deemed these role players that nobody was really confident that they could be anything more than that. So the list for these Calipari, the Cal Clamps guys, are starting with Eric Bledsoe, then Devin Booker, Bam Adebayo, Shigilgis Alexander, P.J. Washington, Keldon Johnson, Emmanuel Quickly, and Tyrese Maxey. All of these guys are drafted out of the top 10. Two of them in particular, I remember thinking, why in the world are they so low? Let's dive into them and see if we can see any kind of pattern about what role they inhabited, why they might have gone lower than they have, and how we can apply that moving forward to draft prospects right now. So the original Cal Clamps guy is Eric Bledsoe. was actually fourth banana, fourth in line, fourth scorer on the 2009-2010 Kentucky team that saw all five starters get drafted. John Wall, Boogie Cousins, Patrick Patterson, Darius Miller, they all ended up getting drafted. So not a bad start for Coach Cal's NBA draft resume. Eric Bledsoe, though, was asked to play shooting guard. John Wall was this can't-miss point guard prospect with fantastic athleticism, very good court vision, ability to attack the rim. Shooting was a little bit of a concern, but still, this was a guy that everybody was like, yeah, he's got to be the number one overall pick. So Eric Bledsoe... Despite being six foot one, 190 pounds at the time, was asked to play more of a complementary role, more as like a floor spacer to help John Wall and Boogie Cousins operate in the spots that they like to play. This is evidenced by him being the second leading shooter on that team. He, well, tied with Darius Miller. Both he and Darius Miller took 128 threes, but Bledsoe was actually the better shooter, shooting 49 from of 128 for 38.3%, and then Darnell Dotson was the other shooter on that team. So he was asked to do a lot of floor spacing stuff, and of course, everybody all knows about his defense. 
defense now. If you've been following the NBA, he was baby Braun. Due to his athleticism, do all those chase down blocks and able to lock guys down. So put in that role, despite being point guard size, he was asked to be shooting guard next to this can't miss prospect in John Wall. Still did dish out 107 assists, but he had 112 turnovers. So it was like, is this actually a point guard? How is this going to work out in the NBA? But he got drafted by the Clippers and immediately was thrust into minutes there. Played in all 81 games his first year, almost only started 25 games, but immediately showed how off that athleticism, being able to supplement somebody like Chris Paul. The next year he got hurt again, uh, only 40 games there, so it was kind of like whatever. Third year finally starts to shine more as he was in 76 games. Only started 12, but that was the year that I remember Bill Simmons talking about him and Russell Westbrook matchup of like these two boxers, these heavyweight boxers, you know, going back and forth, just the level of athleticism, the way they were able to stay with each other, all that stuff. And it definitely got him noticed to move on to Phoenix. And oh, in that time, he got to work on his point guard skills alongside the point guard CP3. And that's when he really blew up. And in Phoenix, he averaged over 17 points. Uh, every year that he was there, gets treated to Milwaukee and still does solid there. He's been playing in the league for 12 years with career averages of 13.7 points, 4.7 assists, and shooting splits, shooting splits excuse me, of 50.4, 33.6, and 78.4% from the free throw line. This is somebody that, again, was asked to move over to the other guard spot despite being point guard size. So I think we can look back on this and say, yeah, he's being more supplementary, but the athleticism was there. The shooting was there. It was just this matter of can he iron out his point guard skills, and it was worth taking a chance. Bledsoe was the 18th overall pick in that draft class. Definitely should have been raked much higher, in my opinion. He went, notable names that went before him is his teammate Patrick Patterson, other guards that went in front of him were Xavier Henry, some guy named Paul George. So I'm probably not that high, but this is the year where Evan Turner went second, Wesley Johnson went fourth, definitely in a redraft. Eric Bledsoe's in consideration for top 10, maybe even top five. Because of that athleticism, the shooting, and oh, we just need to develop him as the point guard. If you wanted to question this idea that maybe this Calipari clamps really isn't a thing, between 2010 and 2015, there really is not somebody that I can give to you as an example for this, to be perfectly honest. Brandon Knight went eighth overall in 2011. Michael Kidd Gilchrist went second. Anthony Davis went first in the 2012 draft. Nerlens Noel went sixth in the 2013 draft. Julius Randle goes number seven in 2014. And then in 2015, Carl Anthony Towns goes number one overall. And then his teammate, some guy that never started any game there at Kentucky, just came off the bench, was mainly a shooting specialist. At number 13 is Devin Booker. Devin Booker might be one of these instances where I don't think anybody can really look back in hindsight and say, oh, for sure, we should have taken him just because of the role he's playing. But again, we've got to stop and think about, okay, what did Coach Kyle ask him to do? 
So yes, he was asked to be a shooter that primarily came off the bench. But as a shooter who primarily came off the bench, he was the third leading scorer on Kentucky's team. He took the second most three-point shots behind Aaron Harrison. Aaron Harrison was the team leading scorer that year. And uh, Booker took 141 threes, shot 41.1%. From three and then 82.8% from the free throw line. Booker is a great example if you're somebody that likes to look at uh, three point percentage and free throw percentage both being high, meaning like over 40% from three and then over 80% from the free throw line. Those are great indicators. His three point attempt rate, too, meaning that of the shots he took, like what percentage of those shots came from three, it was 49.1%. So it gave you an idea of like, okay, this guy's got very good balance despite being quote unquote just a shooter or quote unquote a shooting specialist. It's still under 50% there, so he has to have something else in his bag to where he's not just putting up threes. And you look at his shot distribution, 146 shots came from two-point range, 141 came from three-point range. That's a good balance. That's probably the thing that gets lost within the conversation at the time of Devin Booker is, hey, look at the balance this guy has. The part that, again, nobody can really say like, yeah, he was going to do this. Assists, he only had 42 assists which was fourth on the team and then free throws he only got to the free throw line 64 times which was 1.7 times per game those were things nobody can look back in hindsight and see but the shot distribution again that it was pretty close to 50 50 as a scorer that's what you want you want people to guess what am i going to do when am i going to attack from three when am i going to attack off the dribble when am i going to use a mid-ranger when am i going to use a floater when am i going to attack the rim that stuff again we can look back and see like oh yeah maybe we should pay attention more to shot distribution those things not just the percentages from three as well for devin booker and since 2015, this is really when the Cal Clamps, in my opinion, has been amped up even more. So we have Devin Booker in 2015. Then we have Bam Adebayo in 2017. He's the 14th overall pick. Then Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the 11th pick. Maybe that one's fudging it, but we'll talk about that in a minute. P.J. Washington was the 12th overall pick. The Perhaps the most egregious overlook here is Keldon Johnson, who is the 29th overall pick in 2019, currently just tearing it up with the Spurs. Tyler Hero even was the 13th overall pick. And then the most recent examples I'm going to look at are Emmanuel Quickly and Tyrese Maxey, both taken below pick 20 in the 2022 NBA draft. Bam Adebayo, once again, what's the role? Who is he surrounded by on this team? This is the team with De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk. Malik Monk started off the year red hot. People were talking about him as maybe top five pick up there. De'Aaron Fox ended up turning it on more down the stretch as well in the mold of a John Wall type athletic point guard. Not quite as explosive probably, but still up there to be in consideration for a top 10 pick. Malik Monk ended up being the 11th pick, I believe. Meanwhile, Bam Adebayo is asked to be the pick and roll threat here, mainly be a rebounder, mainly be a shot blocker, just be that prototypical center that supplements your guards very well. That's what he had to be here, and so he wasn't asked to do much. This is also a case of going back into the high school tape 
if you followed any draft people that have talked about Bam Adebayo, that's like the main takeaway, I think, for most people. And Bam Adebayo is not only what do they do in college, but can we go back and see things that they have done? Because the passing was not there in college. He only had 32 assists to 64 turnovers. Then he comes into the league where in the past couple seasons, he's consistently averaged over five assists per game, both in 2019, 2020 season, and then 2020 and 2021 season. And even last season was over three assists per game. Really big weapon in the direct handoff uh, arsenal, meaning that he's setting a screen. He's just holding the ball out for his shooters or for his ball handlers to come off. That's been a big thing with like him and Duncan Robinson there with the Heat. So this is an instance not only of, okay, maybe he's in a role where, yeah, he has to supplement those teammates who need the ball, who are the main go-to guys that should be, but also let's dig back in and say, hey, what else could he have done in high school? And that's where all the passing and things like that came about him. People now from his high school, from the people that recruited him in Kentucky, all say that same thing. Like, yeah, we knew, we knew he had this, but that wasn't what he was asked to do at Kentucky. He was asked to supplement Malik Monk. He was asked to help get them open. He was asked to help De'Aaron Fox finish things. And, oh, by the way, play good defense, which I think worked out pretty good in Miami. I would say that role helped him out a ton in his development to be able to be a switch defender and be able to play power forward center fantastically the way he is right now. Jay Gilgis Alexander might be the one I'm fudging it with a little bit. I mean, I know there's some people that are going to be like, hey, he's the 11th pick. Can you really say this? But lest we forget, Kevin Knox was drafted ahead of Shea Gilgis Alexander. Kevin Knox was also on the same team there, was kind of the go-to option first. And Shea Gilgis Alexander teaches us about the tale of two halves and the ability to be as versatile as possible. The first 18 games of that season, he failed to score in double digits seven times. Well, in the second half of that season, the last 19 games of their season, he only failed to score in double digits three times out of those 19. And oh, by the way, the last 10 games he had down the stretch were 19 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, 6.7 assists, shooting splits of 51.6. 50% from the free throw line or from the three point line, excuse me, 50% from three, and then 84% from the free throw line. This is showing somebody who, once they turn the ball over to him, we're like, you know what? Let's just let Shea cook. Then he was able to display much more. But when you look at the points across the entire year, it doesn't really tell the whole story. 14.4 points per game, 4.1 rebounds, 5.1 assists. Shooting splits of 48.5, 40.4, 81.7. So, like I said, it gives you some idea, but then when you looked and how they, they actually turned it over to him, and again, he's not really scoring that much in the first half of the season. He's barely taking any shots at times. I mean, there were games where he's taking like two shots, six shots, just seven shots, barely anything. And then second half comes around, and the attempts are mostly in, in double digits they're letting him handle the rock more and oh by the way he really caught fire down the stretch that's got to be something to look at as well and the versatility along the way too where yeah i can supplement kevin knox and then oh by the way i can turn it on and be the primary guy down the stretch that's something that we've seen in other kentucky prospects 
and most recently in Tai Tai Washington, who I'm not going to be looking at here, but I think that was another one that like maybe overlooked things. He had the ankle injury too, so I think it's something to still consider. Not the flashiest of names. P.J. Washington is another one I think the Calipari clamps is somebody we need to look back on, especially in terms of versatility. It was the power forward, kind of the center. I mean, there were talk even about him playing small forward. I remember coming out in that 2019 NBA draft just because they thought, ah, if he's this small, like, do we really want him at center? But he proved that, you know what, this versatility is actually something that can help out my team a lot. Last year, kind of had a down year with the Charlotte Hornets, only 10.3 points per game, which is a, a career low. But this is somebody every single season has taken over four threes per game and currently is a 37.5% three-point shooter. His lowest two-point percentage has been 48% from two-point range. I'm just looking at his true shooting percentage every year, too, it's consistently over 54% usage rate under 20 every single year, although this year might change because it's currently at 22.1. This is somebody that still continues to be efficient, plays his role really well. And oh, let's take a look at that 2019 draft as well. Zion, Ja, RJ, DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland, fantastic. But after that, there's a lot of guys that are still trying to figure it out. Kobe White, Rui Hachimura, Cam Johnson is solid, but I'm not so sure. Tyler Hero probably goes above him as well, who we'll talk about here in a minute. Matisse Thibault, you know. Brandon Clark, Grant Williams, guys that are solid, but P.J. might be better than them. And oh, by the way, P.J.'s played more minutes than them and has been a starter for longer in these times because not only is he that consistent floor spacer at power forward and center 6'7", 230, but oh, by the way, he still continues to rebound fairly well and play solid defense. A great option as a power forward, small ball center. I think it's another one that you really can't look at the versatility and overlook it and say, you know what, this guy actually does help out a ton. And when you look at prospects that went ahead of him, Cam Johnson, Cam Reddish, Rui Hachimura, Jackson Hayes, Kobe White, Jared Culver, that's the sixth pick all the way through the 11th pick. I am fairly certain that the only person in this 2019 NBA draft that consistently people would take above him is his teammate Tyler Hero, who we should get into right now. Keeping it 1000% here at Res Ball, I am not a gigantic Tyler Hero fan, but Again, looking at that 2019, I just rattled it off. Top of the draft is probably going to stay the same. Zion, Ja, RJ, top three picks. After that, DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland. I mean, Darius Garland, Tyler Hero, there's probably people out there that would go back and forth on that. DeAndre Hunter has been hurt so much. So let's just say DeAndre Hunter gets knocked down. Darius Garland, let's keep him at number four since he's shown quite a bit of progress already. I believe he's already been an all-star. Yes, one-time all-star. So we definitely give him the nod over Tyler Hero right now, who scored a ton of points, but has not been a consistent starter either. DeAndre Hunter or Tyler Hero. That's where it's at. And here we're looking now at somebody in a redraft who is going to be the fifth pick in contention for the fifth pick because of his amazing scoring ability. He's somebody that, I'll just give you my rundown of why I didn't like him. I thought, ah, his three-point percentage isn't fantastic, even though he's supposed to be a shooter in college. He only shot 35.5% from three. 
like uh, I'm not so sure he's a passer either only two and a half assists uh, he had 60 turnovers and you're like I don't know but now look at it and I again keep it at 1000% I'm like man I'm dead wrong on this because I'm not looking at other things like the free throw percentage was 93.5% and this is on 93 free throw attempts so it's not exactly a small sample size anybody that shoots over 90% yeah, you're a legit shooter. There's something you're doing right in your upper body mechanics. So that definitely needed to be taken into context, as well as the assist to turnover ratio, 90 assists to 60 turnovers. That's very good. That's a very good assist to turnover ratio as well. So kudos to Tyler Hero, somebody that definitely should be looked at because he was relied upon, too, to create consistent offense on that 2019 Kentucky squad, the 2018-2019 roster, excuse me, it was P.J. Tyler and Keldon Johnson, but Tyler Hero really was the one they asked to create on the ball more than anybody, and Ashton Higgins was the point guard, but he wasn't really a scorer, only scored 7.7 points per game. That definitely needed to be taken into context more of, okay, yeah, he's asked to create a lot the primary creator for this talented Kentucky team look at that free throw percentage like not to totally disregard the three-point percentage but it's probably going to get even better because of the free throw percentage being that high so his mechanics must be great and oh by the way if he's surrounded by NBA spacing and NBA talent like oh say the Miami Heat he's probably going to be okay and by the way he has that assist to turnover ratio that indicates oh if you give him the ball more he's not really going to turn it over. So yeah, definitely an oversight on my on my end, not liking Tyler Hero. Defense still isn't that great, but we'll leave that for another time. I'm a Detroit fan after all. Defense matters a lot to me. Quite possibly the best example for the Cal Clamps and somebody I never understood why he was ranked or not necessarily ranked, but drafted so low is the 29th overall pick of that 2019 NBA draft in Keldon Johnson. By the way, Keldon Johnson is currently averaging 23.9 points per game, 5-point rebounds, 4.1 assists, and shooting splits of 45, oh, excuse me, 47.5, 43.5 from three, and then 80% from the free throw line. And, oh, he's getting to the free throw line five times per game only seven games but again this is just somebody that i think had clear indicators that yeah he's much better than people say he is and saying that he's just quote unquote just a role player so diving into that scouting profile he took less threes than tyler hero 118 to heroes 169 but still over 100 threes is great and he shot 38.1 percent from three on those he had 155 free throw attempts. So this is the one thing to me that I was just kept saying over and over. People saying, I don't know if he'll do much on-ball stuff. Or like, ah, I don't know what's going to go on with him if he's not a shooter. It's like, did you not notice how many free throws he shot? 155, that was second on the team behind P.J. Washington. Maybe the 70.3% from the free throw line was concerning. But somebody that's able to get to the line that many times, 155. The averages were 4.2 per game. That's good. That's an indicator, again, of somebody who knows how to attack. The defense is not just a quote-unquote role player, somebody who can do a bunch of different things with or without the ball. 
He also pulled in 217 rebounds. That's good for being somebody who is considered a wing prospect. Anytime you're over 200 rebounds, that's a good indicator that, yeah, you're physical and able to scrap and able to do other things. It's why San Antonio was able to play him at power forward and still at times plays him at power forward despite him being only listed at six foot five and 220 pounds, a scrappy guy that just does a ton of things on offense. Yeah, maybe his ball handling wasn't flashy or he didn't have as many creation skills. And yeah, the assist to turnover ratio was dead even at 60 turnovers and 60 assists, but Again, this was somebody that showed I can do a bunch of different things on that court that I shouldn't be the 29th overall pick. We've gone through this now. This is the third time in the 2019 NBA draft. I've read these names. Is he really any better than Jarrett Culver? Is he better than Jackson Hayes? Is he better than Kobe White? Is he better than even the guys that worked out now in the NBA? Cameron Johnson, his teammates, Hero in Washington, Bible, Clark, Grant Williams. Like, I, I don't understand why he was ranked so low because he showed he can do all these different things. But he was put in a role where he was asked to do a bunch of different things. And, oh, maybe if he's on the NBA court and if you give him more things, hey, he's going to show more things. Next, we have Emmanuel Cookley, who was labeled as just a shooter coming out of Kentucky with his teammate there, Tyrese Maxey. Quickly, though, is an interesting case study because he had a great floater that I remember a ton of people highlighted and said, wow, this is a fantastic shot. Maybe he will do something with this. But I don't know. Is he really a point guard? He didn't dish out many assists, only 1.9 per game. The total on those were 56 assists to 48 turnovers. It doesn't seem like it's a point guard. He's listed at six foot three, 188 pounds. Proved to be a good shooter, 42.8% from three on 4.8 attempts per game at Kentucky. But again, this was somebody that showed a lot of versatility. And then going back to the free throw things again, 156 free throw attempts from Emmanuel quickly. If you're, quote unquote, just a shooter, you do not get to the line that many times. By the way, that 156 attempts led Kentucky in 2020. So there was more there that he was able to do to get to the line, able to handle the ball better than people thought, I, I think. Also, his free throw percentage was 92.3%. So the combination of 42.8% from three and 92.3% from the free throw line shows a fantastic combination of shooting skills that, oh, this guy is going to be a legit shooter wherever we put him on the court. And by the way, he does have that floater game, which continued into the NBA he was uh, quickly was the 25th overall pick in 2020, and notable names that went in front of him are uh, Josh Green, Kira Lewis Jr., Jalen Smith, uh, sadly Killian Hayes. I'm, remember, I'm Piston guys, so guys that clearly he has become better than and showed a lot more in this role at Kentucky that said, hey, you know what, this is somebody that's going to work out and has some legitimate offensive skills. And with that free throw numbers, yeah, somebody that's not just going to be in a corner doing nothing but shooting. And then last but not least, number two on the most egregious overlooks in the cow clamps. Recent memory is Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey is somebody I was very high on in that 2020 NBA draft. 
I'm just going to put it out there. I think the thing with him was just not being able to shoot threes all that well. He shot 29.2% from three. So that turned a lot of people off. He was listed at six foot three, 198 pounds. Showed to be a good defender. But that was the thing was like, I thought this guy was supposed to profile as a shooter. That's a lot of people were talking about with him coming out of high school, but then comes in and shoots under 30%. So a lot of people were concerned, but was 83.3% from the free throw line. So again, there were indicators that maybe it's not as bad as the 29.2%. This is one too, where you really have to dig back into the film to notice, oh, this is the guy that's taking a lot of tough shots as well. He and Emmanuel quickly were really relied upon to be Shooters, I mean, shot creators, not just standstill, but being able to create off the dribble, whereas Maxi was more of the attacker and the point guard-ish kind of thing, quickly was more of attacking from the perimeter, kind of like a small forward role because this was a team that did run a three-guard lineup. Ashton Hagen's at the one, Maxi at the two, and then quickly at the three. And this is where that lineup in particular hurt Maxi the most because Hagen's is the point guard. He's the one doing the primary facilitating 6.4 assists per game for Higgins, but he was not a three-point shooter either, 25.1%. And oh, by the way, nobody else on that Kentucky team really was a shooter either. Nick Richards was there, did not take threes. EJ Montgomery was the other starter that started a lot of games there, shot 16.7% from three. And then Nate Sestina, Keon Brooks, Khalil Whitney, uh, the Johnny Juzang, this is his freshman year there. They barely played everybody there, was like under 20 minutes per game and the guy that shot the best was Sestina at 40.7 percent but it's only on 1.9 attempts per game so Maxi is being asked to create a lot he and quickly are asked to do a bunch of different things and Maxi is asked to play this weird in-between thing of like we don't want you to be a shooter like quickly but we also don't want you to be a point guard like Hagen so perhaps that did hurt in order to be able to, you know, play his game, play his role. But he was another one that displayed a fantastic floater. That was like his go-to weapon that he showed on film consistently. And his ability to get to the rim and finish was great. If you go and look back at those shot charts, I believe he's somewhere close to like 68, 70% at the rim, which as a guard is phenomenal. That's the thing that should have really been looked at a lot more. It's like, oh, here's a guy that doesn't have great spacing, only has really one consistent shooting teammate is being asked to play this weird position because that's what's going to help them win. And this is the personnel, again, going back to the Cal clamps. This is the role he's been clamped into that is not doing the best to showcase all of his abilities but is again helping him prepare for a role and helping the team win games so i say all this to make the argument stop worrying so much about kentucky guards look at coach cal's track record if you want to get an idea of just how great coach cal's track record has been in this time not only do we have these nine instances of players ranked outside of the top 10 But in this span since 2010 draft, so Coach Cal took over 2009-2010 season, since that 2010 draft, Kentucky has had 44 players drafted to the NBA. To give you an idea of how great of a number that is, Duke in that same time has had 33 players drafted to the NBA. North Carolina has had 17 players drafted to the NBA. 
UCLA is at 15, and Villanova. Villanova, you know, a lot of people talk about these guys come in, they're ready, they're good to go. There's a lot of them coming out. Nine. They've had nine players drafted to the NBA in the exact same amount of time since 2010. The nine players I just listed is the same of the Coach Cal Clamps. That's the same number as Villanova's had in this entire time. Coach Cal gets these guys ready, prepared, and good to go. And you need to stop underrating, especially the guys that are role players. Maybe we need to start looking into their scouting profiles a little more back in high school the way they did with BAM. Maybe we need to start saying, hey, look at these other things that they do, like Keldon Johnson, where he's, you know, leading the team in free throws, right? Or look at the Maxi and quickly situations to say, hey, these guys are taking tough shots after tough shots. Maybe that's why the shooting percentages are so odd. And look at these other areas where they're excelling with the floater with being able to get to the rim and finish stop worrying about kentucky prospects and trust in the cal clamps because it gets them in a roll it gets them right it might not showcase everything they have but there's enough of a track record now to say look these guys are going to be good in the league don't overthink it and oh by the way this is without considering two more recent guys who the cal clamps might apply to in brandon boston who was the 51st overall pick in the 2021 NBA draft, and then this past draft, the 2022, the 29th overall pick, again, from Kentucky, is Ty Ty Washington, who looked like a different player before the ankle injury he sustained at Auburn, and after the ankle injury he sustained at Auburn, where he still had to sit in there and play a lot, was stuck between Severe Wheeler, who's a point guard under six feet, mainly there to dish out assists, mainly there to attack the basket, so Ty Ty is not gonna be asked to do that a lot. And the other guy was Kellen Grady, I believe. Uh, uh, he's a transfer whose main job was to space the floor. That's all he really did was shoot threes. So Ty Ty stuck in between a point guard who needs the ball to drive and to dish out assists and a guy who's going to shoot nothing but threes. Oh, and by the way, neither of those two are great defenders. Grady is severely limited athletically. He's not exactly the biggest wing at six foot five, and Severe Wheeler, five foot eleven. That's just asking for trouble in terms of guarding. Ty Ty's six foot three and one hundred ninety-seven pounds, so he's just in between size too. So again, it's not a fantastic situation for anybody to be analyzed within. He has to make up for Seville Wheeler's lack of size and his lack of shooting, and then has to make up for Kellen Grady's lack of defense and also his lack of on-ball creation. So stuck in this in-between game. But in the meantime, he was a fantastic mid-range shooter. Go look at his mid-range shot chart which I just happen to have in front of me, courtesy of CBB Analytics. Go check out CBB Analytics if you want to get shot charts, player charts, team charts, a lot of great insights and tools from CBB Analytics. They have a couple different tiers of doing things for fan or journalists. And if you're a D1 coaching staff or scout, they have another tier for you. So Ty Ty Washington shot chart, he was 48.2% in the mid-range, which is way above average. He was 53 of 110 shots in there. So yeah, it's a fantastic shooter there in the mid-range. And he also did shoot 68.6% at the rim, only 35 shots, but 24 of 35. There are indicators that yes, this guy has point guard skills with that mid-range there. 
three-point shot wasn't that great, but again, he had to make up for a lot of Sevilla Wheeler's lack of shooting. Oh, by the way, I'm not sure who the power forward was. The top end was in there a couple times. Keon Brooks, neither of those guys are shooters. And then Oscar Sheboy, not a shooter at all. So there was another severe lack of shooting there. Cal Clamps, I would guess, probably goes on to tie tie. Hopefully his ankle ends up being okay. Applying it to this year, we have Kaysen Wallace, who's around tie-tie size again, like 6'3", 6'4", 200 in that same vein. Already setting himself apart with the defense, though, for sure. If you're not up on Kaysen Wallace, go check out any film you can from the Bahamas tour they did to the preseason game they just had. This guy has locked down defensive potential. Reminds me a lot of Drew Holiday. So there's somebody that, again, he's already separating himself. Rafael Barlow of NBA Big Draft, Big Board, excuse me, Rafael Barlow of NBA Big Board has already stated he's somebody who he thinks is in the contention for the number three overall pick. Because, yeah, if you're Drew Holiday-like, inability to create offense and lock guys down from point guard, shooting guard, maybe over in a small forward the way Drew Holiday can, then, yeah, you should be up there in top five consideration. And, oh, by the way, there's also Chris Livingston this year, six foot six, 220 pounds, definitely has an NBA body. Everybody's kind of like, yeah, he was just on the periphery. He's kind of like third banana over at Oak Hill. Yeah, he didn't really do much in the summer. Looks to be more of a shooter 3 and D guy. Again, he's somebody I would pay attention to. What else can he do? What are the other stats that seem to stick out? And six so it's six two hundred and twenty pounds. The body type is already there. Maybe this can be somebody like Heldon Johnson or Emmanuel Quickly, where yeah, he's stuck in a role, but then you look at the other numbers and where he's situated on the team, what he has to fill in and do, and think, oh yeah, this guy has a lot more to show and did a lot more than just fill one single thing on the court. So ahiehe, ahiehe means thank you in Dene language, ahiehe, for listening to Resball, for getting it all the way here to the end. Let us know what you think in the questions, the comments below. Cal Clams, is this a real thing? Is this just something that maybe is coincidence? What do you think of this idea of the Cal Clams? It's definitely something I will continue to champion and can continue to say don't underestimate Kentucky players, especially these ones that are deemed role players. Trust in the Cal Clamps. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. I'll go on it.